Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lion and the lamb. The title of this morning's message is simply this, Lion-like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's sharp and powerful and able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. And God, we thank you that your word would do that today. I thank you that you'd work with me, Lord God, with a prophetic uh, anointing to be able to prophesy into the fabric of the men and women that are in this room and those that are watching online. I pray that you give them ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you would say to them personally. And I pray, God, that we would hear what you're saying collectively, prophetically to us as a church. Uh, Our hearts are open, our minds are ready, our spirits are engaged. We are ready to receive your word today in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Good to see you awesome people. It's great to see you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you were asked a question, but you were terrified to answer. Like you got the question, you knew knew the answer, you didn't want to answer the question. I remember it was my fifth grade teacher, and she uh, put her uh, glasses, the frame of her glasses, just on the bridge of her nose and stared with like laser-like precision directly at me. And then she said these words, I hope that's not you. I can see cheating John Morgan. I'm not sure if you've ever been asked a question when you know the answer. And you're actually terrified to give the correct answer. That's not a good moment. Somebody in authority asking you a question, you know what it is, you don't want to answer it. There are other uh, cases where you ask a question, you don't really know the answer, and you're not sure how to answer. Uh, Anna and I were gifted a car some years ago, and we took it out, I think for its first drive possibly, and and, uh, pulled up to a set of lights, and I could notice in the lane on my left a police car trying to get in, trying to get in to the lane. There was no room for him to get in, and so, you know, I did the right thing. I moved my car up, nice man and let the police officer in behind me. And, and then just before the light uh, turned green, uh, his light started flashing and I heard, woo, like over, you know, and, and he pulls me over. And I'd never been pulled over. And so he says to me, he says, uh, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, I have no clue. I have no idea why you pulled me over. He said, do you know that your car does not have any registration? And I said, well, obviously not. Because if I knew it didn't have any registration, I wouldn't let you in behind me. And so you ask a question, you don't know how 
to answer. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question to his disciples. He says, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? So he's asking a question, and the disciples had been in conversation with each other, maybe some other people, and so they answer. Some say John the Baptist, uh, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, other people think that maybe you were one of the prophets, and so we've been in a conversation. We haven't landed on an opinion, but we have a whole heap of concepts that we are presently wrestling with. The challenge with this is somebody's concept versus reality can be two conflicting things. Like you can have an outdated concept of somebody. There's a saying, people tend to treat you where they meet you. In other words, if they met you when, they were, when you were five, they're probably always going to treat you like you're five. Like my mum and dad, no matter how old I got, they always treated me like their little boy. I was like, I'm a grown man. Yeah, I beat your backside when you were little. I beat it now. My mother had no fear. And so, but it's an outdated concept. So you can understand some of the conversations that maybe have grown up with Jesus and knew Jesus as a little boy. They knew him in the temple when Joseph and Mary would bring him in the temple to worship. They knew him as a teenager. They had a concept of who Jesus was based on their life with Jesus. It's outdated. You can have a distorted concept of somebody. When you've met somebody, you're like, oh, wow, I thought you'd be a lot taller. Ever had that happen? Like, I thought you'd be different. I, who you are in real life is not how I anticipated. You can have a generic concept of someone. That really applies to Jesus. <clears throat> you can have Google, if you Google Jesus, you'll find all these different pictures that come up of Jesus. The, most of them are anemic, pasty, you know, wimpy Jesus. Like, you, if, if you were in a fight, you wouldn't want to pick him to be on your side because you knew he couldn't beat a one-armed hairdresser with a fighting phobia in a fight if he wanted to. And so this is like this concept that's portrayed of, of Jesus, like generic. And you can have an influenced by other people concept of Jesus. Jesus, who do men say that I am? And every one of them had an opinion based on what somebody else had said. So they've been chatting to someone. Oh, I think he's probably John the Baptist come back to life. Talk to somebody else. Well, I think he could be Isaiah in the flesh. And so you have a concept built on the influence of other people. And then you can have your own personal concept of someone, a picture of someone that you had formulated in your own thinking and in your own mind. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers in the South call you, hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. I mm. also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. 
dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus... Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 So everyone has an opinion on who Jesus is. The disciples had an opinion. And then Jesus said, yeah, but who, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. There's a, there's a move here from concept to reality. And there's a big difference between how you conceive something to be and how something actually is. Jesus answered, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, upon this rock, that's the foundation, I will build my church, that's the partnership. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the strength of the kingdom of God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the authority that comes. When we move from our concept of Jesus to reality of Jesus, we move to a place where we have a foundation, where we have partnership, where we have strength, and we have authority. An accurate perspective of Jesus or an understanding of who Jesus is is incredibly important to us as Christ followers because it impacts the way we do Christianity. It impacts our expectation and our anticipation of Jesus as a Savior. How can a pasty, anemic, religious-looking Jesus answer our prayer or be interested in our prayer? How can a eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus doesn't even know a word yet in his golden fleece diapers, how can he answer some of the things that you need a miracle in? How you see Jesus impacts your prayer life. It impacts how you see him as a savior. It also impacts your mindset and your behavior as a Christ follower. 
How do you respond as a Christ follower if you don't really know who Jesus is or what Jesus would do? Remember back in the 90s, they had the WWJD bracelet and you're about to do something bad. You're supposed to look down, ooh, what, what would Jesus do? And it would influence you. Well, how would you know how Jesus would respond if you have the wrong concept of Jesus? You've got to have an accurate perspective to know what the response would be. And so a right understanding of who Jesus is impacts your mindset and behavior as a Christ follower. It impacts your response to church life and the kingdom of God. If Jesus is just a nice man with nice proverbs and nice thoughts, then the church is just a nice club. It's an optional extra in our religious life. It's something we can choose to do or not to do. It's something we can choose to attend or not to attend because it's just like an add-on. Jesus is a nice person. He's got nice sayings. He wandered around, you know, uh, Israel and this historical figure. And so if you view Jesus like that, then his church is not that vital or important. But if he is the son of God, if he is the king of kings, if he is coming back for the marriage supper of the lamb, if we are his bride, if we are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, if that's who we are, then it should change everything that we think about church. It should change how we approach church, how we arrive in church, how we engage in church, how we think about church, how we participate church. If Jesus is who he said he is, and he's coming back for a spotless bride, then we bet to get our act together, because one day every one of us is going to stand and give an account for what we've done to him. Now, now God is complex, and as we uh, glance through this glass dimly and we uh, try to understand who he is, I, I, I think that you and I are probably on a never-ending journey of actually understanding him. But getting this lion and lamb picture of Jesus accurate is vital in our understanding. Revelation 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion, everyone say lion, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb, everyone say lamb, standing as though it had been slain. Now when it comes to understanding Jesus or uh, formulating biblical thought is, is important for us that when we're reading a passage of Scripture to understand is this being written literally or is there allegory? Because Scripture can be both. It can be literal and it can be picture form. Well, this is the book of Revelation. This is a prophecy. This is the prophet John on the Isle of Patmos. God's giving him a vision. He's seeing things that need to be interpreted because they're not necessarily literal. They can be allegory. One thing I would say to you, that you can never use allegory and literal back to back to make the same point. It'd be a little bit like saying somebody is five foot three millimeters tall. Like it can be done, but doesn't make any sense. So when you're translating scripture, you need to say, okay, am I translating this literally or am I translating this figuratively? Jesus was literally God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 16. 
But Jesus is the lion and the lamb in allegory in Revelation chapter 5. When it comes to understanding Jesus or formulating doctrine or biblical thought about Jesus, it's important not to build it just on one scripture, but to take the whole counsel of the Word of God. We get in danger when you take one scripture either out of context if you take a scripture out of context, it leads to a pretext. In, any, in other words, you can make that scripture say anything you want. And people have certainly done that. But when you just take one scripture and then you don't look at the whole counsel of scripture, everything that the Bible says, then again, you can come up with an idea based on one scripture that doesn't marry with other scriptures. And so you need to take the whole counsel of the word of God. And when it comes to understanding Jesus, it's important for us to separate who Jesus is to what his mission was. Who Jesus is to what Jesus did. In other words, separating Jesus' nature from his mission. And so your nature can be different than your mission. You can know the local police officer. Let's call him Harry. And Harry pulls you over because somebody gifted you a car and you had an expired registration. And you open the hey, Harry, you know him personally. But he said, I've got to give you a ticket. Well, we know each other. Yeah, but my, my, my mission, my, my job is to be a policeman. And so Jesus' personality and his mission were two different things. It's a little bit like this allegory of the lion and the lamb. How many of you know a lion and a lamb are not the same animal? Like if, if, if one of the security guys came in today or one of, the, one of the hosts come bursting through the door, ran into the middle of the auditorium and yells out, hey, everyone, don't panic, but somebody released a lamb. There's a lamb in the auditorium now. And you'd be like, there's a lamb? I knew a lady called Mary who had a little lamb. His fleece was white as so. Is that that lamb? And you'd be like, where's that? And you'd, people would be standing up and looking around trying to find the lamb because a lamb is cute and a lamb is cuddly. We'd all, no one's going to be intimidated by the lamb. Even if it said, it's a lamb and it looks like he has a bad attitude. No one would be worried about the lamb. But if a host came down, they're like, I don't know how this happened. But there is a lion in the building. I don't think one of them is like, oh, I haven't seen a lion. I went to the zoo and I saw the ear of a lion through the cage, but I haven't seen a real lion. No, if there's a lion, we'd be like, where's the exit? How do I get out? We'd be all trying to find our way out. Why? Because there's a big difference between the lion and the lamb. So is Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah, or, he is the, or is he the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? And the answer to that question is just simply yes. The best way to understand these two images is uh, the lion is who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. That, that is his nature. The lamb is what he did. That was his mission. He became the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the lion is his nature, but the lamb was his mission. The Bible clearly lays that out, that his mission was the lamb. 
Remembering when we go through the Bible that none of these writers were like sending notes to each other. The Bible was written over thousands of years in multiple different uh, cultures with different authors, and yet there's this systematic point that's flowing from the book of Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. In the book of Genesis is the first mention of the Lamb. In Genesis chapter 4, we see that Abel offers up a lamb as a sacrifice. That's the first time it's ever mentioned. And here we see the necessity of the lamb. As you go on to Genesis chapter 22, we see Abraham and his son, and he's taking him up onto a mountain. And if you know the story, Abraham is going to go and give his son as a sacrifice to God. When he gets up on the mountain and he's about to perform the sacrifice, he, he gets his notification from God, I don't need your son. Where I have a lamb in the thicket. I have a lamb prepared for the sacrifice. Don't sacrifice your son. We're going to sacrifice the lamb. And here we see the provision of the lamb. As you go on in the Scripture, in the book of Exodus, we see that he's instructed, Moses instructed to go and kill lambs and to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lentils of every house. This is the, using the blood right here as the slaying of the lamb, that his blood would be a sacrifice for a nation. This anointing the doorposts is a biblical principle of anointing our lives. God sees the anointing and he passes over. That's when we've got the blood of Jesus on our life. That's how you and I get into heaven. We don't get into heaven on our works. We don't get into heaven on our smarts. We don't get to heaven on our fashion or our money. The only reason that you and I can walk into heaven when we die is because we've been anointed with the blood of the Lamb and God passes over the blood and allows us to come in. So we see the slaying of the lamb in Exodus. In the book of Leviticus, we see that the lamb was offered up as a sin offering. And around about 20 times, the book of Leviticus says, make sure that this lamb is without spot and without blemish. It has to be perfect. And so we see the character of the lamb. Now in Isaiah 53, we have a change. Up until this point, the lamb has been a lamb. But right now in Isaiah 53, as he prophesies hundreds of years away, as he brings this prophetic word, now it changes where the lamb is not a lamb, but the lamb becomes a person. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That speaks of the personality of the lamb. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. And what's he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he identifies Jesus as the Lamb. That's the identity of the Lamb. In Acts chapter 8, we see uh, Philip operating. And, and as he's wondering, God tells him to go and speak to this Ethiopian eunuch. And maybe it was a new year. Maybe that's why he was in his chariot. Who knows? All we know is he was seven years younger than everybody else, which is always a good thing. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot. He's obviously wealthy, got status. And he's got the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And he can't understand it. Philip sends, God sends Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch. And he's like, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, I have no clue. I, I, I need somebody to break it open for me. 
And so Philip sits beside him, and then he starts to expound on the Lamb from Genesis right through to Isaiah's prophecy and to Jesus, and Jesus coming and dying on the cross, and Jesus resurrecting, and Jesus ascending into heaven, and Jesus coming back again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He lays out the mission of the Lamb. This is what the Lamb was intended to do, that all these bits throughout history is God telling a story about redemption. If you ever want to get clarity that this is the Word of God, understanding this, how all these pieces fit together to tell one narrative, one story, God's love from heaven to humanity, this is it. So he outlines all of that, the mission of the Lamb. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he introduces us to something that we haven't seen before, and that's the resurrection of the Lamb. Verse 15 says, verse 18 says, Now you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers. That's the necessity of the Lamb. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold. That's the provision of the Lamb. But with the precious blood of Christ, that's the slaying of the lamb like a lamb without spot or blemish that's the character of the lamb who was foreknown before the foundation of the world that's the personality of the lamb but was made manifest in these last days for your sake that's the identity of the lamb who through him we are believers in God that's the mission of the lamb who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God He raised him from the dead. This is an introduction of something that we haven't seen. The lamb that was slain, but then was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And then John on the Isle of Patmos Patmos, introduces us to the ascended lamb. He introduces us to the eternal kingship of the lamb in Revelation chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So you need to understand that the lamb was his mission The lion is his nature, but the lamb was his mission laid out before the foundation of the world. Now, the lion became the lamb because we as lost sheep have serious issues. Like, why did he do that? Well, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. As I said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Or we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's our transgressions, it's our iniquity, it's our judgment, it's our sickness, it's our wandering, it's our wickedness. Jesus didn't die for himself, he died for us. The lion become the lamb because you and I who are sheep, are lambs, have issues. He died for us. When sin entered the world, it impacted us. I've seen a whole heap of people on social media trying to be smart as they deconstruct Christianity and somehow just make the whole sin and salvation issue just about us getting into heaven. Like it's just an angry God doesn't want you to come into heaven, and so he's going to stop you, so he's going to kill his son, so so you take the death. This understanding is futile, small, and not accurate. 
The shedding of the blood of the lamb for our sin is more than just some life insurance policy for heaven. Now, you want to get to heaven. You can be wrong about some things, but eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. But Jesus didn't do all of that. Our transgressions, our iniquities, by our stripes, we're healed. We don't need healing in heaven. When do you need healing? Now. When Jesus gave his message, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. When he outlaid his mission, it was all about helping people now. Salvation is about now. It's about the attacking of sin when you understand that sin is just things that are happening in slow motion. So it's not just sin, but it's the, the consequences of sin. It's the nature or the shape that it takes on. And, and God's like, I hate sin because it impacts and hurts you. I hate sin because it destroys your life. So sickness is death in your body in slow motion. Anytime sickness enters your body, it's just death in slow motion. And so by his stripes, we are healed. He's bringing his salvation to reverse the curse of sin in sickness. Poverty is death to your finances in slow motion. Addiction is death to your lifestyle in slow motion. Deceit, lying, is death to your credibility in slow motion. Bitterness is death to your joy in slow motion. Unbelief is death to your faith in slow motion. Immorality is death to your partnership in slow motion. Division is death to your relationships in slow motion. And so the lion became the lamb because you and I who are lambs, we have issues. And he come to redeem us from our issues. It's the beautiful exchange. Paul wrote in Corinthians, he says, For you know by the grace of the Lord Jesus that he was rich, yet for your sake he became... He was rich. Why? But he became poor. So we who are poor can become... So we who are poor can become rich. He who was righteous becomes sin. So you and I who are full of sin, the habits of sin, the consequences of sin, living out the wages of sin, he took on our sin so you and I could live in righteousness, so we could be holy before God. This is the beautiful exchange. This is our Savior. I, I don't know, maybe you're not excited about that. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little pumped up right now. That's your cue to get excited. Again... Beautiful. I love that clap. That was great. And totally appropriate if this was a situation. He's on the 18th hole. He's about to pop the ball. And uh, we're watching him right now. Here's Tiger Woods. He's five over par right now. This is not a great putt for him. But let's just give him a little golf clap. That that would be appropriate. But this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who died in our place, who shed his blood for our sin. Lastly, the lion, this is important, the lion became the lamb so that lost sheep could live like lions. That's a beautiful exchange. The lion became the lamb. 
prophesied before the foundation of the world, acted out in the book of Genesis, runs all the way through the scarlet thread of redemption to the book of Revelation. The lion became the lamb that you and I as lost sheep, you and I as lambs, that you and I could live like lions. Why was Jesus the lamb slain? So we could live like lions. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. He became the lamb so we can reign. He became the lamb so we can rule. He laid his life down so you and I can live in authority. The lion became the lamb so you and I who are lambs could live like lions. As a Christ follower, it's important to understand the mission of Jesus was mapped out thousands of years and fulfilled in a matter of hours. When was Jesus the lamb slain? Well, we know it was prophesied and started taking place in Genesis. But when was he the lamb slain? Was it when he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? No, not then. When, when was he slain? He slain on a Friday. One day, a few hours. He was the lamb that was slain. He took on that role as the lion of the tribe of Judah who could have at any point called in angels to pull him off the cross. But he knew he had a mission. And he knew he had that mission prophesied from the book of Genesis. And that it had flowed right through to this moment. And he knew this is the moment. This is the day. Not my will, but your will be done. And the lion of the tribe of Judah became the lamb slain on the cross. But how many of you know he didn't stay slain? Death could not hold him down. The tomb could not contain him. The devil could not stop him. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is going to wrap it all up. Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's his nature. And I saw a lamb standing though it had been slain. That's his mission. If his nature is lion-like and his mission is to be the lamb, therefore the lion nature should be our personality and our mentality. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. It's the wicked that flee when no one's pursuing them. When you stand in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus... When you know you stand before God holy, spotless, without blemish. You are the righteousness of God. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Somebody here today needs to hear that because you've been cowering. You've been down. You've been terrified to speak. You squeak without speaking. You're intimidated by everybody. People try to, ah, I thought you were a Christian and you're intimidated by the world. We don't need to be intimidated by anybody. We are lion-like. That's our nature because we're taking on the nature of Jesus. It's the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. So that lion-like nature should impact our anticipation in prayer. We're praying to the lion of the tribe of Judah. So when we pray, 
We should pray in boldness. Don't be pleading for your healing. By His stripes, you were healed. It's already happened. You're going to pray over your life. Technically, you don't really need anybody else to pray with you. We love to pray with you and we'll continue to pray with you because partnership is powerful. It puts thousands to flight. But you have power. You have authority. You have the King of Kings in you. You are the lion like nature. can be yours as a Christian. So some of you got to get your shoulders back, head up, start walking through the crowd, knowing who you are. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You are a child of God. You have the lion-like nature in you. It impacts our mindset and behavior as a Christ follower. And it impacts our expectation when it comes to the church and the kingdom of God. When you have that lion-like nature about you, know who you are. You don't let people intimidate you. And when you come to church, you are the church. You're not a church attender. You are the church. You are responsible for building God's kingdom. He called you into the kingdom for such a time as this. He called you. You responded. Some of you haven't got engaged in church life because you thought, well, I'm nothing. I've got nothing to offer. I'm a nobody. That's a lie of the devil. You are a somebody. You are a somebody. You are a someone. You're a child of God. You have the lion-like nature. God needs you in his kingdom. You said yes. You could have said no, but you said yes. He could have chosen somebody else. He chose you. So it's time to get plugged into the kingdom of God. Living with lion-like nature should impact those things. And understanding that, The lion and the lamb are two different animals. Lions roar while lambs bleat. Lions are bold while lambs are intimidated. Lions prowl. They have accuracy. They're deliberate. Lambs frolic. Where are you going? I don't know. Why? Because I'm a lamb. You've probably seen that before. Lambs like, sees another lamb going over there. Oh, you're going over there. The lamb jumps over the, over the edge of the cliff. What are you going over the edge of the cliff? Ah! <laughs> but not a lion. Lions prowl. They have accuracy. They have determination. They know where they have. They have vision. They have passion. Lions hunt while lambs follow. I, I, I was reading on lions, and one of the things that they say, which is incredible, I didn't know this, but lions hunt, and they tend to hunt in a storm. Their perfect place for hunting is when there's a storm. Now, the backing of that is that the storm, the noise in the storm, sort of the other animals can't hear the lion coming. But I think the fact that the lion hunts in a storm is a good indicator for us that if we've got the lion-like nature of Jesus and some of you are in the storm right now, rather than backing off like a lamb and like, I can't do anything, bah, I'm no good, bah, what am I going to do? No, you need to be like, you need to roar like a lion. Speak to faith in your situation. It may be a storm, but you can walk on water. I don't know who I'm speaking to online today. But the lion is our nature. It's the nature of Jesus. And the lamb should be our mission. When it comes to the kingdom of God, our mission needs to be lamb-like. Our approach to life, lion-like. But when it comes to the mission of God, the kingdom of God, the church, 
become lamb-like. So we lay our lives down as sacrifices. Not my will, but your will be done. How can I serve? How can I give? What can I do to help other people grow in the kingdom of God? When, when, when your life is a sacrifice, church is not just about you. Church is about other people. Why do you serve in the lobby? Well, so other people can feel welcome when they come. Why do you clean? Why do you serve? Why do you do anything? Why, why do we have singers sing? Why do we have musicians that come way before any of us have even got out of bed? And they come on a Sunday morning to play praise and worship. Why? Because they're serving you. They're serving me in praise and worship. That's, that's, the, that's the lamb mission. They lay their lives down. They serve others. They sacrifice for the kingdom of God. They establish greatness through serving. And they never make it just about themselves. The lion became the lamb. So you and I who are lambs, could live like lions with the lamb mission. We are lions, but we serve like lambs. Lion is our nature. Lamb-like is our mission. He is the lion and he is the lamb. And that nature and that mission can reside in every one of us. If you believe that today, why don't you stand to your feet and give Jesus Christ a great round of applause. Come on, praise him right now.